This week's episode of the Art Tactic Podcast is brought to you by Artbase. Are you managing an art collection or an artist studio or a gallery? Is it time to bring your collection management skills up to a professional level? Well, Artbase is the right software to manage your art business. Artbase allows you to track your artworks and contacts in an easy-to-use, powerful database. Enter your data once, and you can use that data to generate reports, offers, contracts, and so much more. They've got a brand new version out with a whole new look that can be used on the cloud from any location on any device. So what are you waiting for? Go to artbase.com today to learn more and be sure to mention Art Tactic for a 15% discount. Thanks for listening to the Art Tactic Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Green. I hope everyone's doing well and continuing to stay safe. I know a second wave of COVID is emerging in different areas of the world and we hope everyone is doing okay. Speaking of the pandemic, we've spent the past several months touching on how COVID has impacted different facets of the art world, but we haven't yet touched on its impact on museums and institutions. So I asked Laura Hopman to join us on the podcast, and we had a great conversation. Laura is the executive director of the Drawing Center, and prior to that, she was a curator at MoMA and the New Museum. The Drawing Center, it's really one of my favorite museums in New York City, They've had some really incredible exhibitions over the past few years. Some that come to mind immediately are Neo Rao, Toino Giodutola, Nathaniel Mary Quinn, and Rashid Johnson. We thought it'd be especially interesting to have Laura on as the Drawing Center, while impressive, is a smaller museum, and we were curious to hear how they managed through the pandemic. We also asked Laura about her current exhibition, 100 Drawings from Now, which features artworks that are actually available for sale by an incredible group of artists. You can view the show online right now by visiting drawingcenter.org. We hope you enjoy our conversation with Laura. Laura, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. So to start things off, I think it'd be great if you could introduce our audience to the Drawing Center in case some of our listeners aren't familiar or are only vaguely familiar with the museum. The Drawing Center was founded in 1977 as a space specifically to showcase contemporary drawing. And it was founded in Soho, where it still is today, because that was the neighborhood where most of the New York artists were living at the time. So it was a neighborhood place. Uh, and venue for contemporary art and for living artists. More than 40 years later, we're still doing that, but we've broadened our um, purview to include drawings of all kinds from all time periods, from all uh, periods on the spectrum, from Renaissance drawing to contemporary works. What we, what we concentrate specifically on, though, in, is the idea of relevance and contemporaneity, so that even an old work, uh, a work from, say, the 16th century or the 19th century, um, is chosen because of its, its um, contemporary nature or uh, its usefulness, if you will, in the discussion of contemporary art uh, at the moment. As you know, New York is a rich, rich contemporary art community with so many different kinds of museums and not-for-profit spaces. And in the late 1970s, a lot of younger curators and artists realized that the great museums, like the Metropolitan Museum, the Guggenheim, the Moment, and the Whitney, only had so much 
square footage and in a way brain space for contemporary art so that there was that they realized that there was a lot of room for uh for alternative spaces if you will um that would that would concentrate specifically on the new on the discussion that was happening just at the moment and in fact a lot of things have changed of course over almost 45 years but a lot of things have stayed the same and places like the drawing center um still have a really important role to play in the discussion, the art discussion in New York and also uh, all over the world, given that um, a lot of our information is shared now digitally, even though we're a visual arts organization, like most other organizations of our kind and the bigger museums, we also have a very lively community online so that we, um, that we can say that our constituency is our neighborhood, our city, our country, but also anybody who's interested and loves art all over the world. And so I'm really curious to hear what it was like when the museum so abruptly closed due to the pandemic, and all of a sudden you have no visitors, you have no exhibition, you have no ticket sales. How difficult was that experience, and how did you manage the museum through the pandemic? This is a very important uh, question that I'm really happy to address because I have to say at the outset, we learned so much with this shutdown uh, of almost six months. It was frightening, it was challenging, um, but, and it continues to be both frightening and challenging because it's not, uh, it's not in the end. But it also really brought us back to who we really are, to our roots. So when the, um, the shutdown began on the 13th of March, the drawing center closed its doors like other institutions all over the city. We are an organization that um, invite um, that is free to the general public as of this, this past three years because we've been underwritten by thanks to the Cy Twombly Foundation. Um, and this gift from the Cy Twombly Foundation of free admission happened right before the shutdown. And it is indicative of what um, continued to happen throughout the shutdown. That is, that artists' foundations, that is, artists themselves saved us between the Twombly Foundation, the Willem de Kooning Foundation, the Helen Frankenthaler Foundation, the Drawing Center, and 14 other institutions like us, we all banded together. Um, we were able to not only to stay open during this time of pandemic, but to create programming that we threw online. And we even grew our audiences. Our audiences online over the past six months equal the audiences that we have, our walk-in audiences of the past year. And I have to say last year, that is 2019, was the biggest audience year of our, um, of our existence. In the fall, for example, 11,000 people came to see our exhibition called The Pencil is a Key, Drawings by Incarcerated Artists. So it was a big year for us. And we were expecting that or more in the springtime. And we got it. But we got it online. And we were able to do this kind of programming as a result of the generosity, not of some outside entity somewhere, not of the federal government, even though a lot of us took advantage of the uh, payment protection program, like a lot of small businesses, which was super helpful. But what really sustained us were artist organizations themselves. And what this told us, or reminded us, was how important we are as incubators for artists at the beginning of their career or when they're not uh, at the center of the discourse or those artists like say Neo Rath 
who are at the center of the discourse, but as painters and who had, in a way, secretly been making drawings for years and years and never shown them. So the drawing center and places like Artist Space, the storefront for art and architecture, Printed Matter, which is an artist book concern, all of us come from the same DNA and all of us um, were sustained, saved first, sustained by artist foundations during the time of peril. And all of us have emerged stronger. And one more thing that I wanted to say that was so important, not only did we emerge stronger, but collectively we employed 212 people and nobody lost their job. I am so proud of this. I am so proud of our art world that looked towards the smallest, the least capitalized, you know, the, the, the organizations with the least amount of, um, of endowment, the organizations with the smallest footprint, that, that the artist community came together and saved us and allowed us to flower um, even while we were closed. It's not extraordinary. It's a story. It just chokes me up when I think about it. And, you know, the first thing that happened in those last weeks of March were um, colleagues from the bigger organizations, the really big ones, like the museum directors from the biggest organizations in the country and in our city said, we're really worried about the small institutions. Well, Artist organizations must have heard that, but also um, it allowed us to make a point, which is while unfortunately the larger institutions with the bigger overhead, the biggest footprints and the most uh, personnel struggled, we didn't. Because for us, small is beautiful, that we're, we are more concentrated on depth than on breadth. We, especially at the drawing center, concentrate on drawing. That's it. That's all we do. And that is a, has proven to us to be an enormously sustainable model for um, a cultural organization in a city in economic peril and as well as in public health uh, danger. And you know, everything that could be thrown at us is being thrown at us now. We, your, your listeners know this. And yet we survive. We survive. And not only do we survive, but we thrive and we employ, at least the group of, pe the group of organizations that I'm talking about, uh, more than 200 people who have kept their job over this time. That's really incredible. And I think the artist foundations and the larger museums and everyone coming together and being so supportive of each other during this time just says a lot about the art world. It really is a community. And another interesting thing you said is that you had an uptick in visitors to the museum during the pandemic. Of course, these weren't physical visitors, but how were you able to continue to interact with visitors and fans of the museum during the pandemic? The wonderful thing about our digital world is the way that the ease with which information is transferred. And it's not just verbal or oral information. You can also transfer pictures. So during the time of our lockdown, we were able to um, not uh, in so much, not, I'll get to this in a minute, the curating of exhibitions, but more like connect to our artist community. And, and so many artists with whom we have worked in the past, like Rick Rittier-Vanit or Curtis Tal West Santiago, or two that I can think of off the top of my head, rose to the occasion and did uh, artist Q&As, studio visits, public studio visits, Uri Aran. A wonderful early mid-career Israeli artist living in New York um, did a, a studio visit with us, and uh, for people to come to to join in, whoever wanted to. Um, Curtis Tawa Santiago started and is still doing 
a series of group drawing activities um, with himself, but also with his friends. He invited his friends like um, Toyen Odutula, for example, was uh, one of the guests, or uh, Alvaro Barrington, who's in London right now. Um, uh, we were able to work with that community that we had created, you know, for over, over all these many years and also share um, artist points of view and insights as well as artists work digitally. It was, uh, it was something that we, um, you know, when you work with drawings, you're working with a kind of direct experience. They're small, they're under glass. The point in a way is to see them and see them up close. So at first, um, you know, dinosaurs like myself were a little uh, skeptical about how you could translate um, the drawing experience um, digitally, it turns out you can do it and you can do it magnificently. You really can. Probably in a better way than you could say with a ginormous painting, for example, that you could see from afar and then in close up. But with the drawing, somehow, because of it, their, their um, scale, um, it's easier in a way to, um, to uh, interact, uh, interface digitally. And um, this is not just a premise, it's been proven. And uh, the, the way it's been proven is that um, you just have to scan Instagram to see how many artists who don't usually indulge in their drawing practices during this time of lockdown made drawings. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of artists uh, made drawings, continued to make drawings, picked up a pencil and started drawing again after many years. So there's been a real flowering of drawing and that art historically is going to be significant when they when the world looks back at us in 50 or 100 years they will uh, notice in culture this efflorescence of drawing that happened over the world amongst artists yeah that's interesting and i've actually noticed that trend a little bit myself just seeing certain artists posting drawings on their instagram accounts so aside from covid our society and that of course includes the art world has been dominated by conversations about racial inequality. Is this something that's on your mind as a director of an institution? And if it is, how is the Drawing Center approaching this issue? Absolutely on my mind all the time, every day. This upheaval and these disasters and this peril has opened a crack, a wide crack in American culture. That, coupled with the terrible tragedy of George Floyd um, and the subsequent um, uh, media attention to these terribly unjust murders by our um, uh, law enforcement system has been a terrible experience and also an opportunity for organizations cultural organizations like the Drawing Center with a long, long history to really examine itself, see how we can change and how we can um, grow uh, into an organization that is more equitable, that reaches more people of all kinds, not just digitally, but also in real life. It's, it's prompted us to find new ways to reach more artists because in the end, organizations like us and us are artist-based. Everything we do relies on artists. Um, and we have, have begun quite a number of different um, programs, tactics, 
committees to be able to address um, a range of inequities in the way that we um, uh, have organized ourselves in the cultural product that we create. That means in exhibitions and in, and also in our in our publications, in the way that we interact with our local community, our national community, and our international community. It's a, not an easy uh, situation, but it is a huge opportunity for us to continue to, I guess the term is to evolve. Um, among the things that we've, we have initiated, and as this is a kind of work that is going to go on for, I hope, as long as I'm the director and long after I leave the directorship, one of the few things that we've been able to concretely achieve over these past six months, and which was announced today, in fact, is that we're welcoming six new board members to the Drawing Center, including four artists, um, a writer and uh, a lawyer. And with these new voices and new ideas, we are diversifying our board um, in, in a significant way. If we had invited one or two or three, even three new voices, it would have been new voices joining a board of 21 people. But we have six new voices now um, joining a board of 21. So we have a significant block, if you would, B-L-O-C, um, of, um, of voices and new ways of thinking that will help us assess and reassess who we are and how we can be um, uh, a better, more intellectually um, bigger organization. Well, that sounds really incredible and a model, really, for other museums to follow if they aren't already. And while we have you here, I wanted to talk to you about your current exhibition at the Drawing Center. I had an opportunity to see it last week, and it's just phenomenal. It's a group exhibition entitled 100 Drawings from Now. It includes so many notable and prestigious artists, some just off the top of my head, Cecily Brown, Rashid Johnson, Eddie Martinez, Raymond Pettibon, Amy Silman, Deborah Roberts, so many others. And I think what's most exciting about this exhibition for our listeners is that the works in the exhibition are actually available for sale, and the funds support the Drawing Center. So this could be a really exciting opportunity to acquire something for your collection. So tell us how the show came about, how it's going so far, and for our listeners who aren't based in New York City and can't easily visit the Drawing Center, where can they view the exhibition online and potentially buy something? Well, the Drawing Center, when it began in 1977, for the first two years, its programming was exclusively exhibitions of new drawings by living artists, group exhibitions of, of drawings by living artists. So this is in our DNA. And over the years, of course, we've gone back to that uh, particular uh, format. But as, as time went on, it became, uh, in a way, from the curators, uh, more of a challenge to throw something together to, um, to highlight new artists. Um, what with the, well, it just, it, 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 it remains a challenge to, uh, to put together such an exhibition. But what a pleasure. And what happened is that during the pandemic, it offered an opportunity for all of us as the drawing center, because the exhibition that's up now is curated by all of us, to be able to, as I mentioned before, really make remake contact or make new contact with artists who are making drawings. And there were so many artists who were making drawings that it occurred to us this was the best moment that we possibly could have to be able to start thinking about an exhibition uh, 
that feature the drawings that were happening exactly at this moment. What better place to have, have an exhibition of this kind than the drawing center? In fact, it's something that we were born to do, if you will. And I have to say it sustained us. We put it together over a three-month period of time, exclusively uh, doing studio visits uh, remotely. Can you imagine? Um, and as a result, we uh, put together an exhibition that has uh, artwork from all over the world. Wael Shalki from Alexandria, Egypt, contributed a drawing. We have, uh, you mentioned, artists who's, who we have worked with before, given monographic exhibitions to, including Rashid Johnson, Cecily Brown, Eddie Martinez, Raymond Pettibone, even uh, artists like Robert Crumb from Sauve, France, the great Robert Crumb, the Daumier of our time, um, the real capo scuola, if you will, of American drawing, in my, in my humble opinion, drew us the self-portrait, which we, which we included uh, in the exhibition. We have worked by uh, the great uh, younger artist, Marion Benani, um, the uh, Moroccan artist, Munir Al-Sol. Um, we have artists from, uh, from Europe. Uh, the wonderful Simon Denny uh, from New Zealand, who's living in Ber Berlin right now, contributed uh, something. And altogether, it's a kind of um, course sample, you know, like in geology, of what artists are doing on paper at this moment, um, geographically across huge geographic distance, but also uh, chronological too. So we have 80, an 80-year-old 80 artist, like 82-year-old artist like Giuseppe Pannone, and also artists who are just at the very beginning of their careers uh, in, their, in their 20s. Usually in September, um, the Drawing Center has a, a fundraising uh, auction that lasts one night. We ask artists to give us drawings, and we auction them off. And with, that, uh, with the funds that we get from that um, event, we are able to sustain ourselves for the first half of our year. It's a very important event for us. This year is a different situation altogether. And what we did was take our zeal, um, our excitement about putting together a really big and meaty group exhibition We joined it with this fundraising effort. And the artists so very kindly complied. So that most of the artists, not all of them, but most of the artists in the exhibition have donated their works and, allowed, and are allowing us to sell them. In this case, we're going halvesies with most of them. So that's important to know that these are enormously generously uh, offering half of the purchase price to us, but the other half goes back to the artist. And that's important for the drawing center to, to do as well, except in very, very specific cases where the artist has decided to, to donate the proceeds, the entire proceeds to the, to the drawing center. We've been very happy about the reaction, first online and then in real life when we opened the uh, exhibition for previews and then to the general public just this Wednesday on October 7th, more than half of the exhibition is sold. And this has given us the courage and the means to be able to continue on well into the springtime. It's so exciting for us because we have a, a really big roster of exhibitions that we're looking forward uh, to doing. 100 drawings from now will be up until mid-January. And during this time, um, people can visit us uh, online at drawingcenter.org or make a reservation and come in to visit us in real life, in person. And if they are interested in finding out more about a drawing, that is if the drawing is available and how much it costs, they can contact us. Um, but at, at this moment, um, we're not actively um, uh, seeking uh, buyers, but in a way passively um, uh, uh, allowing people who are interested 
to inquire about the drawings that are, that are available, that are still available now. And we have some great works that are still available. We have a magnificent Amy Winehouse drawing by the great Rachel Harrison, my friend and, and an artist who I admire so, so, so much. Raymond Pettibone drew something specifically about the moment just for the drawing center. Giuseppe Pannone and Francesco Clemente, artists from two different generations, but both of them from, uh, you know, part of art history, also contributed significant works of art. Um, Amy Silman, whose uh, show up in Chelsea right now at the Barbara Gladstone Gallery, is one of the great experiences to see. For those of you who live in New York or traveling to New York and do go to galleries, I urge you to see Amy's exhibition. It's a beautiful and moving experience. She was very, very prolific during this time of lockdown. And one of the things that she was able to do was to create an entire body of work of, of, of um, washes of flowers. And this abstract painter is a wonderful draftsman. There's no doubt about it. Drawing is at the seat of everything she does. But just to show us, really show us, that she knows how to observe and to draw, she makes these series of, of, of flowers that are just breathtaking. And the iris that's featured in the exhibition that we have up at the Drawing Center is one of my very favorite works. It really is a special exhibition, and for anyone in the New York City area, you should definitely see it, and for our listeners who aren't nearby the Drawing Center, what's the website they can visit to view the exhibition online? It's www.drawingcenter.org. And for those of us who visit for the first time, um, um, I welcome you. It's, a, a, it's an important and different experience to be a part of these small not-for-profit with, with very specific purviews. We are vital and an important part of the cultural fabric in this country and in New York City. And our, the whole point of our existence is to have a, a bigger and bigger audience uh, to come and experience what we, what we have to say and what we have to show. Absolutely. I couldn't have said it better. Laura, thanks so much for coming on. We learned a lot hearing about your experiences throughout the pandemic, and congratulations on the exhibition. Thank you so much, Adam. Thanks so much to Artbase for sponsoring this week's episode of the podcast. Are you managing an art collection, an artist studio, or gallery? Is it time to bring your collection management skills up to a professional level? Well, Artbase is the right software to manage your art business. Artbase lets you track your artworks and contacts in an easy-to-use, powerful database into your data just once and use that data to generate reports, offers, contracts, and much more. They've got a brand new version out with a whole new look that can be used on the cloud from any location on any device. So what are you waiting for? Go to artbase.com, that's A-R-T-B-A-S-E.com to learn more, and be sure to mention Art Tactic for a 15% discount.